0: Hey, welcome to our webinar. We're really, really glad that you're here. Uh, We're here with an exciting group of people. Uh, Janet McMahon and her husband have planted a church and then planted churches and uh, some of the friendliest, warmest people I ever met. I sat at dinner with them one night, feeling a little like the odd man out, you know, a bunch of young people, old geezer there. And <laughs> and I'm sitting right next to these guys. And it's like, oh, man, so warm and welcoming. And, and then there's this young boy here, Drew Hyun. I just had to ask him his age because I'm hearing all this stuff about New York City. And every time I'm with Todd Wilson, he's talking about Drew and And, you know, he's got reporters knocking at his door. Uh, It's just, you know, crazy things are happening in America right now. Uh, Drew's being called on to speak about Asian hate that's arisen in our country. But uh, he's a church multiplication giant. And so I had asked him how old he was today, and honestly, I, I was surprised. I thought he was going to say maybe his late 40s, and I'm thinking he's done an awful lot for a guy in his late 40s. He's in his early 40s, um, so the young face is betraying. And and then of course um, <clears throat> you know, I'm getting to be sidekick to my boss here. Uh, uh, he's the man, as far as I'm concerned. We travel around together and and hang out. And it started out. I was discipling Myron and. Uh, Myron Pierce is now uh, coaching me and showing me the way forward and um, just uh, so happy. So, um, Myron, just introduce yourself and say something to everybody.
1: Well, it is good to be back. One of the things, Ralph, that we had a conversation with and I had, uh, I think we talked to the exponential team is if we're going to renew this practical multiplication deal, we had a fun time with Nancy a couple of weeks ago, Nancy Orberg. Yeah. And always, we always get to the end of these things and we wonder, are they going to fire us for the next, um, you know, for <laughs> the next six sessions? And, and I think they're going to keep us on Ralph. So that's, that's always a, a pleasure to know that uh, uh, we got this young guy and this uh, more seasoned guy um, hanging out together, having really, cool conversations on multiplication because i think that's what practitioners want and i think that's why we have drew and janet on um, there's only so it's only so far that a theorist can take us right we, we want to know from the and hear from the people who are in the trenches and so we get to hear from some giants today and want to start out by uh having janet Uh, introduce herself to us and Janet maybe tell us who you are and who you're connected with and, and um, maybe one cool story God's doing through your story that, that's, Mm -hmm. that, that we need to hear from today.
2: Awesome. Yeah. My name is Janet McMahon and my husband Troy and I um, had completely different careers. About 25 years ago, we were attending a church in Chicagoland and um, innocently attending a church. And it wasn't long after we started getting connected to Dave and John Ferguson, who are the pastors at that church, that God just did a real number on our lives and really called us into vocational ministry, both of us. And so we, um, we transitioned from regular uh, marketplace jobs into ministry. It's been almost, it's been right around 25 years ago now. And Troy and I joined the staff of Community Christian 12 years ago. Um, And then after 12 years there, because it's a sending church, because it's a hero-making church, because it's a multiplying, reproducing church, Troy and I were sent out to Kansas City in 2008. And we planted Restore Community Church that's now 14 years old um, in Kansas City. And one cool thing that God has done, because we were raised in a reproducing culture um, since Restore started, we have been able to play a part in reproducing, I think it's now maybe 51 different churches in the last 14 years. And that's been a real joy. And that's the heartbeat of Restores reproducing churches.
1: Gosh, that is amazing. I'm about to do a, a Myron Pierce boogie over here. 51. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's go. It's been fun. I that's love it. Okay. That is, that's true. Four, in
2: I've,
1: 14 years,
2: Yep.
1: Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Ralph has all kind of questions for you around that one. <laughs> I'm going I'm to ping him after we hear from Drew. Drew, tell us a little bit about who you are, who you're married to. Um, and um, yeah, what you're leading and, and a cool story so far.
3: Yeah, Uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. And I just wanted to mention previously, you guys were asking about just how I'm experiencing recent events, and I just really appreciate your asking about that, especially with the rise of Asian-American violence and anti-Asian violence. Um, So I really appreciate that and the exponential family for your care and your concern. yeah, uh, I am here in New York City, I'm my wife Tina and I, we live right here in the heart of Manhattan uh, with our two kids, David and Avery. And in 2012, we started uh, a church in Queens, New York called Hope Church NYC. Uh, that church, uh, the vision from the very start was to become a family of diverse churches uh, across the city. And so uh, in 2012, we started that first church. And uh, today I'm the lead pastor of Hope Midtown, which is our Midtown congregation, which was the, the third church that was started in our family of churches. Um, and since that time, we've started 12 Hope churches. And um, yeah, and I lead our Midtown One currently, uh, which is again, right here in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, and in addition to that, we started a network for um, urban church plants, an urban church planning network called the New City Network, which really aligns around five values, which are dear to us. Uh, me, as well as my co-founder, Edwin Colon, started this network with a real heart for uh, urban, multi-ethnic, spirit-filled, emotional health, and mission, that those values would mark uh, the kind of urban churches that we were looking to come alongside and start. And so, yeah, since that started in 2016, we've been able to help support a number of other churches that have started through the New City Network. So that's been uh, a big part of our journey. And I think now being in New York after this pandemic, we're now reimagining all sorts of different ways of doing mission and multiplication and seeing how we can be part of what God is doing, um, especially as we're coming out of this COVID season, I hope. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a little bit about me.
1: It's amazing, man. I tell you what, uh, I know. Uh, Ralph's little heart over there is just jumping up and up, s- up jumping up and down um, with the questions, and I definitely have a lot. Um, and uh, as you as you all are watching, whether you're watching live or you're catching a replay, uh, one of the things we want you to do and know is that we can uh, have a dialogue where your questions are warranted and needed and necessary. And so we want to ask you to uh, go ahead and, and drop Um, a question or two in the chat as we get going and uh, just really to kick off our time together. We have a a slide I want to show you that really captures uh, the vision for today as we talk about multiplication and and one of the things that's important to multiplication one shift that I'm sure Drew and Janet will talk about is really a shift in the hero story of the primary leader and this really is important to me for a number of reasons uh, and Ferguson, Dave Ferguson talks a lot about this and he's quoted one of his mentors where he says it's, it's, it's cool if, if fruit grows on our tree and we get the credit for that but the real fruit is when it grows on somebody else's tree. That's the real pleasure that that a leader and as we look at the life of Jesus really happens. Another shift that we got to take is a shift in the expectation for every believer. Uh, it's interesting we have shifted um, our church from you know the idea of having a church planting residency to actually a missionary. We, we're 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 seeing ourselves as a missionary hub to mobilize every single believer because we're a part of the priesthood, right? Thirdly, a shift in the opportunity for every disciple. And I love that because in Christ- Christianity, a lot of times we've set it up as uh, let's let's set up the rock star pastor who eventually falls uh, and let's create all these expectations around him or her that are sometimes unrealistic. And then let's set them up as the heroes. Rather, let's flip that um, even from the idea of I've been saying, you know, we can we can indulge Christianity as an organizational chart or as a family tree, but we can't do both. Right. But to be able to mobilize every disciple into kingdom work is the call of every, I believe leader. And then a shift in the operation system, operational system. Ralph talks a lot about this because I know uh, leaders often say, Hey, you're presenting these paradigms and shifts, but I'm probably in this, you know, traditional, a uh, historical church setting where I don't want to like rupture anything. How do we do that? Um, we think there's a, a better way to do that. And then a shift in the scorecards. And um, we know that we can often count, butts in to see how much money's coming in. But at the end of the day, uh, what God is holding us accountable to is something much more uh, grander, something much more exciting and exhilarating uh, of which I'm, I'm excited to, to talk to Drew and Janet about. And so that's kind of where we want to go. Um, Janet, I know you said that over the last 14 years, um, there has been 51 churches. And one thing I loud and clearly heard you say was that we came from a sending church that had a culture of reproducing, which tells me a lot about this, where you came from. Talk to us about that culture Um, and why it's important.
2: The culture of reproducing were really products of. So it it was happening at every single level. So I came to a church. I had a little baby in the the baby room on Sunday morning, and I volunteered. And as a volunteer, someone poured into me. They paid attention to me um, and eventually asked me to be apprentice leader in her small group. And so I became apprentice, small group leader, and they continued to pour into me. And Troy also became a small group leader of a couples group. Um, he was an apprentice. He became a leader. And then he apprenticed other leaders and he became a coach of those leaders And pretty soon the church is challenging us, challenging Troy in particular, my husband, to leave his career and become a campus pastor as that church was reproducing into their first um, multi-site campus. And so that's when Troy left his career and became a pastor and was the first campus pastor of this multi-site church community Christian. and then I left my career as a social worker and I started working in kids ministry at the church at that time and did several different roles uh, over the twelve years we were there. So just from the beginning, someone just started raising us up at every level, everybody has an apprentice. That was the expectation. and that apprenticeship process you could ride that train as far as you wanted to go and as far as you were called and as far as you were gifted and That's what happened to us. And so when we planted Restore, of course, we're going to create a similar culture.
1: I love that. So before, but before this church, what was your previous understanding of church? Did you know what you were walking into when you walked into it? What paradigms? confronted your past
2: yeah that's good Troy and I both grew up in church Troy's dad is a pastor my grandfather is a pastor so church we were pretty entrenched in the local church Um, but we grew up in churches where um, it was kind of a protection against the world let's collect all the people together and we'll be safe inside the church Um, and the church was for us and when we came to Community Christian, we realized that the church was for the community, that it was a church that was looking to help people find their way back to God. And we were young, married in our 20s. And I remember... Um, We went to a baptism celebration and Troy and I just couldn't even look at each other because there were more people being baptized on that Wednesday night than we had seen in our entire life of church attendance. People were actually finding their way back to God. So we realized we had stumbled into an effective church that was actually helping the mission of Jesus move forward. And we absolutely couldn't get enough. We just started asking questions. And Troy would take the pastor Dave out for breakfast once a week, just to say, tell me how you're doing this. What's happening? What's going on? And it ignited something in us that we didn't even know was there. We were just attending church because that's what we do, you know? And suddenly we saw something that was a movement. And um, we, we just, ha- we had to get involved. And so we volunteered right out of the gate because we just wanted to do something to help the mission move forward.
1: I find, I find a lot in, in churches. Um, people want, like they want to get in the game mm. and, um, and they want to be involved, but was often missing that, was clearly articulated by you was there were, there was a pathway for you. Mm -hmm. There was like this, this, uh, what do you call it when you're a runway, uh, Mm -hmm. um, for you. And I actually wrote it down. You said, um, we volunteered, um, we apprenticed, we led, we coached, we, we had a camp, And and then your husband moved into campus pastor. Um, it was like a clearly articulated pathway. Mm -hmm. And, and and I know Ralph talks a lot about that over the years with um, Ralph, what you've done with Hope Chapel and um, and even what you're doing now, Ralph, like you just really don't slow down. <laughs> um, and so, Ralph, as Janet is sharing her history of that pathway, at community church, what are you what are you thinking? Because for you, Ralph, everything is about context. If I ask Ralph, like I'll I'll ask Ralph a question and he's literally like Jesus and he'll go into a parable or a story or an illustration It's interesting to me. But, but Ralph, what are you thinking? What story are you thinking as Janet's like sharing this pathway with us?
0: Well, well, I wanted to ask Janet about how did you do, how did you launch so many churches so fast? And I'd like to get there. You know, is, is the 51 multi-generations outward or were the 51 from, you know, the, the church you pastor. But I think more importantly, uh, uh that in, in a multiplication culture, Troy put himself in danger going to breakfast with Dave Ferguson once a week. I mean, I, I can't tell you, Rich Agazino and I would walk a golf course at five thirty on morning, just walk around the outside of it, uh, Craig Engler decides, let's just go for a walk on the beach every Tuesday during lunch or his own staff. There's a huge church in Kihei, Hawaii right now. They've planted a bunch of... Every time you do that kind of thing, and then... But that really is kind of, the, I would say, what you just described there, is kind of the center of the culture. Uh, all, all the other stuff that we do, the tools that we build, are kind of hardware that kind of comes back to... I'm, I'm spending time infusing vision in 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 another person, and I just uh, I unpack how the relational uh, plays off of or or, or or sponsors the the tool making part of all the stuff that we do.
2: Hmm. Are you asking me to unpack that? Yeah, I'm asking.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a very relational process for both of us. And, um, and the tools developed while we were there. I mean, Dave had a clear vision of reproduction, absolutely clear vision for it. He was living it out. And the people around him were living it out. And the tools were being developed. And so we were the apprenticeship that, and it was really based on the old, uh, Carl George's book, Prepare Your Church for the Future. That's an old one. And he talks about the meta church model. That's a big one he, in my life, too. Yeah. <laughs> It was a big one, right? He wrote that one, and he wrote one other yeah. one, and and he talked about the Meta Church model, which is really from Exodus chapter 18, where Jethro visits Moses, and he says, "You're the people are standing in line all day waiting to hear from you, and, and you're only going to wear yourself out, so put yourself in charge of thousands, hundreds, choose reliable men and women, I would add, um, to put in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and then you'll be able to stand up under. The work, and that's the meta church model that that Dave and John were building at that time, and they shared that story with us, and um, and and so we realized, oh, we were a part of that. We're part of what God is doing in reproducing leadership and past pastoral leadership in the lives of the people of the church.
0: I Drew, think that's I really important. What, um, and the reason I want to focus on this is that so many people. In today's culture, we read a book, uh, we hear a webinar or something, and and, and, we, and we go gunning for the tools. And we overlook the fact that where really exciting things have happened, uh, they've been born of relationships, and, 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 then, and then the tools become appropriate to the community, uh, which would make me wanna uh, ask Drew a question along these lines. Because I, I've been in Edwin, the church at Edwin Leeds. Edwin had, had been a, a, a drug addict. Um, he, the, the church is in a, in a very rapidly uh, changing neighborhood. Uh, it, it's, it's going upscale real quick, which is kind of frightening and negative. But uh, you know, he, he has a, a, a kind of a halfway house for uh, recovering addicts. And, and he's pushed himself so far that a couple of times he's had to go and live there with his family just because money was very tight. I know that, Drew, you're in a whole different kind of a, a, a neighborhood. And you guys are developing tools as you go. Kind of speak into this tools relationship, um, different different lifestyles. I mean, you got a lot going on in, in New York. And, and kind of build off of this.
3: Yeah. Um, in terms of tools, well, I mean, I think… I think all the tools and the elements and the shifts that you guys outline are super duper helpful for any kind of context. And I think they have to then be used for those specific contexts. So I can extrapolate principles. For instance, we're in the mid midtown Manhattan on 31st street and Park Avenue. And our context of folks that we're working with is dramatically different than Edwin's, uh, where he started the church. And yet each of these shifts, I think, are very, very important. Um, You know, these five shifts that you guys are all talking about, because it's really about a culture. And so I realize, like, all the stuff, you know, of, you know, the disciple making tools and things like that. Um, I think maybe some of the content might have different language or, or things like that. But I think ultimately the culture, if the culture has these different shifts um, and then each culture then contextualizes the tools that will be used for what multiplication looks like, I think that's what ends up happening, which is why Edwin and I are dear friends, even though our contexts are so different, like we're both deeply committed to multiplication um, and really starting an engine for For reproducing and for making disciples all over the city. So uh, I'm not sure if that (laughs) answers your question. I kind of just basically said, well, it's really about the culture.
0: I'd like to just hear a little bit more about um, relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because what's happening wouldn't happen without you and your friends. And what what happened with with Janet and Troy wouldn't have happened without the friendship with with Dave. And, you know, and as of course it builds out, it gets to be a lot more friendships. But um, one, one of the things that I'm struggling through right now, I think, with people I'm talking with is when Jesus says in Matthew 28 to go and disciple the ethne, mm-hmm. he's not talking about nation states, not talking about friends. And, and, and because, unfortunately, we've picked up the word ethnic to describe people's DNA, uh, the, what he's really talking about is just people groups. Mm. And so, you know, recovering addicts in Kahulu, Hawaii are a certain people group. Um, Business people in downtown Honolulu are are another people group. They're an affinity group. But it's all relationships that hold people together. And I think so often we get into uh, what, you know, Myron described, or was it Janet described, the the Myron, the org chart versus the family tree. Mm -hmm. Family trees are messy and And they have dead ends. They don't just always keep going. Um, It all comes back to building relationships. And Jesus talked about finding that person of peace, which he did in Samaria. Um, You you know, just kind of, Drew, again, unpack a little bit more about the relationships that have flowered into this movement that you're part of, that you're leading.
3: Yeah, you know, I think when we started, I think the vision was to not build a great church. It was to build a great city. And uh, it was interesting, I was actually, um, Tim Keller, who's a pastor here in the city, um, he was telling me the other day that back in 1989, the crime rate here in the city was astronomical. You know, over the past year, the crime has increased tremendously here in New York. Um, But like, for instance, the murder rate, I think is three to 400 right now uh, per year. But back in 1989, when he had moved into the city, it was uh, about 2,500 a year. So crime was at an all-time high way back in 1989. People were droves of people were leaving the city. And it was fascinating talking to him because he was saying that when he, he came, there was a movement of prayer that had started here called Concerts of Prayer. And there was such a desperation because the city was in shambles and uh, pastors and leaders just started to pray with one another. Now, he, as a young church planter, got involved with Conscious of Prayer, and they started to pray with people from different tribes and denominational backgrounds. And he said very early on, uh, you know, he befriended another pastor who was from the Pentecostal tradition, and Tim is Presbyterian. And he said, as Redeemer grew, one of the things they did was um, out of that prayer meeting that really kind of galvanized um, these relationships and where relationships were forged, Um Redeemer Presbyterian ended up giving them a large financial gift to start a Pentecostal church in Harlem. And he said that that church was just so alarmed, like why, like this, it just doesn't fit in our paradigm. Why would you as a Presbyterian church, white guy, you know, give this check to us to start a church, uh, a Pentecostal church of people that look very different than you. And it was interesting, Tim was saying, you know, it was really forged out of prayer and relationship that because we knew each other and because we were so desperate for seeing movement and revival happen in the city. Um, it was, of course we were going to support the work of a new church, even if it was of a different tribe, um, here in the city. Now, I, you know, I think, I think in some ways, like contexts like New York city, like the post-Christian context, um, it is so difficult, um, to get any kind of traction going when it comes to movement. And, you know, it can be overwhelming sometimes to think about the entire city, like there's eight and a half million people only in the, you know, in kind of the five boroughs, but in the tri-state area, let's just say it's about 25 million or so. Like there's no way that one church can possibly reach all those people. And so, you know, it's often said um, to reach every kind of person, you need to mobilize every kind of Christian. And I think the more that we can do things together with other Christians who believe the same things, who believe that disciple making and mobilizing um, all people, whether it's someone who's, you know, an ex-addict who works a blue collar job um, or an ex-addict who's working a very lucrative job in finance in the city, like we want to mobilize everyone and through that and the way that we do that is through relationships and kind of a nameless faceless movement of people that are willing to give their lives pour themselves in to disciples who are going to make disciples and so um so I, so, I think, you know, part of the natural disposition towards yearning for relationships, collaborative relationships in the city is just born out of desperation. Like, ministry is so hard. We really need each other. Um, but when we can get together, there's all sorts of really wonderful ways that we can collaborate now. And we can be mutually supportive of one another, cheering one another on. And... um And so, so much of that happens organically. And then the structure, (laughs) you know, Ralph, I know that that's probably your MO, right? Like, Hey, just throw things at the wall, see what happens. And then, you know, we'll build the infrastructure afterwards. And so I I know that that's been some of our experience, especially as it relates to relationship building.
1: You know, Drew, um, as you're, as you're talking about sharing that story about um, crime rate going down, you know, the pastor, um, pastors getting together. And this, this whole idea of relationship, I am i have a guy that I've been building a relationship with maybe over the last, I don't know, a couple of years. And uh, his name's Brandon. Brandon played D1 football, um, played a year at the Chiefs, and um, grew up in the inner city. Like my whole MO is every inner city, right? And so over the last couple of years, we've, we've built this incredible friendship. And literally before uh, we got on today. We, had, we meet every Tuesday and um, and he looks at me and he he says, man, I don't think I'd be where I was at um, had it had it not been for this friendship. And mm-hmm. And I don't want us I don't want our exponential family to 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 overlook this, mm. because I think a lot of times we can, you know, we can look at what are the coolest tools and how do we how do we build the right culture and and we have to make sure that we have a discipleship pathway and a leadership pipeline and all these fancy words that regular people don't even care about mm-hmm. but when he said that it struck me because I, I thought for sure he was gonna say man I'm so thankful for how you helped me help 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 me think about my capacity as a leader in the the ability to cast vision and like the tenacity that it takes to get after the kingdom. But like, he said, none of that. (laughs) It was like, I'm, I'm glad we're friends. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And and it was how Ralph and I met, like literally when I, when I first met Ralph and even as I was introduced to the exponential family, I'm like this fanboy. you know, I'm coming down the hallway and I see Ralph and I'm like, wanting to fan, put a fan in his face and feed him grace, you know, and, um, because he's such a giant in the faith. And he's like, well, let's sit down and talk. Hmm. And I'm like, just a very different paradigm. Janet, my question to you is, is as you've been on this journey with your husband and in ministry and 51 churches and all you said, like, tell us about friendship. Talk to us about the role friendship has played in your journey personally as a leader, who's been a great friend to you. And who have you been a great friend to?
2: That is a great, that's great. Um, So the person who invited me to be their apprentice is Sue Ferguson, which is Dave's wife. And she has been a great friend to me. And even though we are not in the same city, um, we are, we, we share resources. We share thoughts. We, we just spent um, an hour and a half on a zoom call this week just talking through some stuff, stuff. She's, she's working in ministry as vocationally there at community Christian doing some stuff in small groups. And we just spent an hour and a half talking through what's that like right now? What's next all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I would say for sure that it's been that friendship that has probably impacted me and empowered me the most in my journey um, in ministry and, and not just that, but as a disciple. I can repeat words and things that she said to me over the years. And I have organized some of my choices around some of the wisdom that she has shared with me over the years. So I would say that it's been a powerful friendship on the other side of that. I have a young woman here in Kansas city. Her name is Jenna and she and I have been friends (coughs) working side by side together for about five years. And I would say that, Um, it's been that friendship where we spend the good majority of every time we get together doing discipleship stuff. Like, how are you? What's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? How are you deciphering your next step? And then we spend a little time talking about what we're working on together, how we're going to get it done. But um, the main thing is the relationship. Yep.
1: I love that. Drew, you, you mentioned uh, in your introduction, uh, that your friend you and your friend you even say that you said my friend and i started this network mm-hmm. and it's just so beautiful to hear you say that talk to us about that talk to us about the power of uh, of a network and then like even what you guys were thinking as you as you said hey we i want to launch this like walk us through that walk us through the process of thinking network multiplication um, even the core values you mentioned just walk us through that a little bit how'd you get started with that
3: yeah um well i i think uh kind of like what you were saying myron about your you know the relationship that you had with this person like just so much of stuff is just born out of friendship and people and being able to see people and so you know Obviously, the strategy comes along with all that, but another part of it is just being a nice person and trying to, and befriending people and really journeying together with people. And I think what's born out of relationship just makes a significant difference. And so, for instance, one of the values for us at our Hope Churches is humility and friendship and diversity. Like those values end up shaping a lot of how we um, plant churches. And so, I remember we actually went to a um, we were hosting some sort of gathering for church planters and someone asked us, cause we were hosting it like, Oh, do you guys want a booth? And I said, what do you mean to buy a booth? And they said like, you know, a booth where you put up a sign and you, you know, whoever wants to plant a church, they can come and talk to. And we were like, Oh no, like, like, no, we don't even have, like, I, I don't even know what you need. You would need one of those, like, you know, those signs, those banner signs and you would need. I was like, we don't even have one of those. And they were asking that. And, um, and I said, no, no, like our, the way that we've always kind of, kind of the generative engine for us when it comes to multiplication has always just been friendship and relationship. So it's been us getting to know people in our congregations or us getting to know friends of friends who wanna be part of this story that we're building together here in New York, of starting Hope Churches. And then I think it kind of it dawned on us, like there are all these other ministry friends in the city that we want to work with and one was the church that i had come from new life fellowship in elmhurst queens um, with pete scazzaro and rich for and then another was edwin cologne and it was like well how how can we work how can we spend more time together and be working towards the same things because we are cut from the same cloth. And so out of that, we, that's when the new city network started was because we said, let's just start having lunches together. And so that was the birth. It didn't come out of an audacious goal to plant a gazillion churches. It was really, Hey, let's just start sharing meal and prayer and um, carrying each other's burdens here together. Um, and I think part of that now, I think the season that we're in now as it relates to multiplication is um, I, sorry I can't even remember the story the question you asked but like our hope churches and then new city network is you know starting the churches that are would probably be seen as more traditional churches one of the realizations that we've come to though is there still is a certain profile of a, a hope pastor that we're looking for when it comes to starting new churches and um, and we realize we really need to mobilize everyone though and um, maybe not everyone like the person who's working in private equity doesn't have a vision to become Uh, a pastor, a vocational pastor, the way that it looks for me or for others. And so what does it look like for that person to be mobilized to live into their God-given potential and calling as a disciple maker? And so for us now, one of the initiatives now is we're starting something called the Hub NYC, and the Hub NYC is basically um, a network of missional expressions um that uh could also be called micro churches but a, really a network of missional churches and expressions in the city where people um, from various different trades and backgrounds and bivocational and um, are living into this mission of being everyday missionaries and starting new communities where the reign and rule of god are extended and so um and and so we've got these different pathways then for us is basically there's one pathway to start a more quote unquote, traditional church. Um, And there's uh, pathways for us to start more non-traditional churches. But either way, each one of us have this calling of mobilization and mission. Um, And maybe I can just share this one story. There's a guy who um, went through a church planning resident with us. He's a dear friend who used to work with our uh, in-laws And he's someone that was also very much interested in church multiplication. So he did a church planning residency at one of the Hope Churches, and then he was supposed to start a Hope Church um, this fall. And so he's been with us at our Midtown Church, really kind of incubating and ready to start this church later this fall. And yesterday he told me, though, that he just felt like for the sake of mission and uh, just where he sensed that God was leading him um, he, he felt like he wasn't called to be a hope church. And, uh, like it was, it was kind of this funny moment. Cause I think he, he kind of expected me to flinch a little bit or to like mm-hmm. react a certain way. And I was like, yo, that's awesome, man. Like, what, like, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And, now, as I look back at that, though, I, well, I, I should say this. I kind of knew the conversation was coming a little bit earlier just because of a couple of clues. So I had to prepare myself emotionally for it. And the reality is I, I did feel a little bit of like, I felt a little sting, you know, I, uh, at least leading up to that con- conversation. I felt a little bit. But um, during the conversation, I'd come to a point, because again, that, that mantra is consistently on my mind. We want to build a great city. We don't want to build simply a great church. Mm-hmm. And so... And I love him and I trust his character. And I know that he is, that the spirit is working in genuine proactive ways in his life. Um, And for that, I rejoice. And so I, I think, I think a lot of that is born out of, you know, us relationally kind of moving and mobilizing and seeing the possibilities and the good in people. And, you know, it's, it's actually really fun to be on this call with you guys, because from each of you all, like I remember first meeting Janet and Troy and, just uh, the warmth and the uh, the presence that they carry. And Ralph as well, just consistent affirmation after affirmation. Even you, Myron, as you, whenever I meet you, just consistently affirming and calling out things that you see of possibility. And I just, I love that. And I think so much of that is what um, relational kind of disciple-making mobilization is all about.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm so... I th- Drew, I think you just gave so many leaders um, permission today. Because, and, and what I mean is this, and I know Janet, I would like you to speak into this, Janet. We sometimes can traditionally have one pathway for one kind of leader vocationally, so much that it ostracizes the the Silicon Valley leader or the mom who is raising her son by herself and she you, you know what I mean like you just gave so much freedom to say hey and I know me like I'm all, I'm always like it, either like I'm an all in or nothing guy and sometimes I lean over to man we're like throwing the whole church planting residency thing out like and it's kind of where I'm at now and, and versus like the 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 hub approach that that, yeah, maybe there's not someone who's going to go down, like the guy you're you talking about, like become a hope, a hope pastor, but maybe there's this non-traditional way of mobilizing ordinary people into the mission of God. And like, that's what I hear you saying. And those are conversations that I just, I just got back um, from Denver with a lot of guys from across the country um, that you would know. And, and, and they're have, we're having these same conversations of how do we mobilize everyday missionaries into the, to the work of God. So I feel like you've given so much permission for people to actually think outside of, to think traditional pathway. Yes. And to think not so traditional pathway. Janet, are you, are you having, is your, are your, is your leadership team having conversations about how do we mobilize everyday people, ordinary people who maybe aren't opting into the traditional church planting model.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm totally resonating with everything Drew is saying, because I really feel like when we got here to Kansas City 14 years ago, we were like, we're going to do it in this way, and it's going to look like this, and then it's going to happen in this time frame. And it took us about two to three years to realize that it's not going to happen quite like that, or in that time frame, or look like that. And even this last year, all the disruptions of this last year have even opened. opened up that paradigm even more, that it's going to look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. I'm really encouraged to hear Drew talk about this because we're kind of feeling, I'm feeling a little schizophrenic here at Restore, like my mind is over here, and then it's over here, and then it's over here, related to how because we're going to do it multiple ways, um, and so we've been talking about three streams at Restore, and one of those is micro churches mobilizing the everyday missionary, like Drew is talking about, and one is going to be more a more traditional church plant, and then one is going to be things that we can do and reach online, and those three streams are we we were church planting before, we were um, in person gathering, but we've just try to open up the possibility um, to all these different things. But quick story to two people that I am friends with. One, her name is Brittany, and she recently said, hey, she had one of those conversations that Drew had that she thought was going to sting and, and it did. But yet yeah, we celebrated where she said, hey, we're not going to come to restore anymore. We're going to go to our clubhouse in our neighborhood on Sunday morning, and we're going to invite our neighbors and we're going to have church. And we just really feel like God's calling us to do that. And she was leading on our worship team. She was like a great leader. Her family was awesome. you That's the people you want to come to your church but if you can't celebrate that God movement in her life, calling her out into church planting in a small micro way, then we're celebrating seeding capacity instead of sending capacity and we've got it mixed up. So that's Brittany. Then my other friends, this is a family and they are really involved in helping in the um, at risk kids in our community, I mean the most risk at risk kids kids that are risk at risk going to foster care um, wrapping around those families to for foster care prevention, and they're deeply entrenched in that community and they have brought in so many of their friends and neighbors on mission with them in those ways. And they have helped people find their way back to God through that ministry oh, over and over again. They found their way back to God through that ministry, actually. And, um, and they did a similar thing. They're like, um, we're having house church in our home with all the people that are, that are serving with us, with these families. And we're inviting some of these families in that we've been serving. And you could just celebrate that. You celebrate that. And, but yet there is a moment for every pastor that says, wait, you're coming to my church right on Sunday morning at nine o'clock. And that's where, if we keep doing that, if we keep holding on like that, we're not hero making and God is calling people to be everyday missionaries. He's calling people into their spaces in their places. And we have for all these years spoken the language of permission you can do this. We can help you. We've spoken the language of permission, and now we're being tested. Will we really give it? Will we really celebrate it? Um, and it's been a great—it's been a great um, blessing of COVID disruption um, because people are acting on what God's calling them into, whereas I think pre the disruption they were hesitating. And so we're seeing action like that, and we're celebrating that. Um, And it's very messy and unorganized, but it's happening. And we have the network thing going like Drew does. We definitely have a network of church planting churches. We've had that for a while. That's growing. It's multiplied in Kansas City into three different networks. That's been fun. Um, so we definitely have all those things. As Drew talked about, you want to see your city be better. You don't want to build a good church. You want to build a good city. Um, we have our, our line at restores. we're changing the spiritual landscape of Kansas City, and it will take more than one church to do that. It will take different types of churches doing that. So it's very similar. I really am resonating with all that Drew is sharing. Um, across denominations, our networks are. We've planted churches together with other churches that were a Bible church, a Baptist church, and a Restoration Movement church coming together and planting a church. Um, So those kinds of fun things have been happening here in KC as well.
1: I love like today's conversation. I love it because every conversation Ralph and I have with different leaders around the country, they're always so different and unique. And, and, and the uniqueness of this conversation, um, we're, we're talking about like the soft skills of the kingdom. I just literally just made that up. Like, just like, like, like the soft skills of the kingdom, you know, in recapping is like friendship. Mm. The soft skills of the kingdom is living with attention. Andy Stanley would talk about like not a problem to be solved, but a tension to be managed. Mm-hmm. And that we're living with these tensions of, uh, as Drew and, and the Asian community is, is now experiencing and, and not even now experiencing, have been experiencing um the pandemic, politics, all these things, these tensions that all have that have come to the surface over the last year, and yet the hope that I feel in my heart is that the church is experiencing a disruption that is causing us to fall back on what matters and and this idea of friendship and um, interruption and disruption is causing us to innovate. And and living with that tension, what would you say are some more tensions you or Janet that you're having that you're finding yourself living in as a as a leader as a multiplying leader?
2: I would say the tension of online community being real community um, and celebrating the online expression of discipleship and community that's a tension that people will um like that's not real community unless you're face to face and but we've seen out of necessity so much discipleship happen with people they have never met And they're discipling one another. I had somebody join a newcomers group online, become an apprentice small group leader online, start leading a small group online, and now has two apprentice leaders all in COVID before she ever attended an in-person gathering of her store. And I have to believe uh, that God's at work there.
0: Wow, I think I had some insight into that. Pe- people who who have been comfortable in a pre-COVID sort of legacy church experience are are fighting. they they're they're Zoom weary. You hear all these silly conversations. Mm-hmm. But people who are lacking that, who, who either haven't walked with the Lord before, and they come in through the online experience, are exploiting it, enjoying it. Uh I, I'm in a, we started, a, we, we learned from Myron how to do a digi-church. And so we started, uh, one of my friends, his wife died a very painful, prolonged death and, and got absolutely no support from a church where he had been an elder. He'd been a leader of a micro church inside the church. He'd helped guys plant businesses. He's a brilliant man. And uh, he was lost. He's still struggling a little bit. I got another friend who I mean, played music with the likes of John Lennon and, and uh, Mick Jagger. And uh, he, he's, he started a church in an Episcopal church, and it's not his background. His background's Pentecostal, but he started a church in an Episcopal church for disabled people. But when COVID hit, you know, they're kind of stranded and kind of lost. He'd, he'd worked for some of the largest churches in America as their small groups pastor. And my wife and I we're, we're struggling. we can't really find a church where we fit in San Diego. And uh, I got another friend that just crawled out of a vodka bottle a couple of years ago, who's a lot younger. He produces music for Hollywood. We're desperate for fellowship. And all for all of us, it's been it's just a salvation. We just love being together. And I think the key word is is desperation. Uh, if you've been fat and comfortable, then you don't like the online experience. If if there's if there's a hunger in your heart, uh, then you find that that I mean it, it's it's a great thing. I've, i we're really thriving on it. But I think there's that 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 thing I'm noticing um, this thing because I'm coaching several different people and uh, I, I'm working with a guy in Denver and they've gone to micro and they were they were at zero. They were, they were, the all discipleship was programmed before, like eight weeks of this class and then five weeks of this class and whatever. And I, I just, I, I, that carries no stock with me. I just think that's a waste. It, it has to be relational. It has to be long term. I was with a bunch of guys in Hawaii. They call themselves band of brothers, but then they meet together for six weeks around curriculum, disband, and four weeks later they come up with a different band. And it's like, they don't even know each other. They never get to know each other. And so I see this thing where um, uh, the thing that's going on in Denver, is, it's almost entirely been online because of COVID. And they've gone from a church of about 500 people pre-COVID. They're probably touching a 1,000 people now. And it's all uh, digital microchurches. And so it's just one stream, but it's a valid stream. And I think that we're hearing too much that's that's kind of invalidating what you're talking about janet Uh, i i'd like to hear from drew a little bit about what what Myron just brought up about the the whole zoom internet experience and how it's affecting what you guys are doing covid
3: yeah um yeah janet that tension is so real and something that we're definitely experiencing as well yeah in terms of the online um yeah we you know uh it's been surprisingly fruitful, kind of like what Mm -hmm. Janet was saying. It's been surprisingly fruitful. I still don't prefer it (laughs)
1: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) really, you know, and I don't know if, uh, if it's what, you know, most people prefer or not prefer, but I know it's been surprisingly really, really fruitful, especially Mm -hmm. as it relates to disciple making, um, this evangelism and disciple making, I think has been really fruitful online. And so, um, and I think we're wrestling through that tension right now as we move forward. It will be a hybrid expression of some sort. Um, and again, how do we breed the same kind of cultural elements that we've been talking about throughout this whole conversation? How do we breed that um, uh, both online and in person? And so, yeah, we're learning from you all as as well as we kind of navigate through those waters. Um, so, But I, I must say, I can't wait. To just start getting together more with people, like um, New York's been locked down for quite a bit, and so yeah. as things are opening up, um, yeah, I know that I've just I feel like there's a part of me that's really come to life as a result. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, how do we how do we how do we maximize both um, mm-hmm. is definitely a question that we're we're pondering. Yeah,
1: I was I was in um, I mentioned earlier that I was in a uh, I was up in Denver. Uh, two uh, two hours west of Denver for an annual uh, retreat, and I met a I have, I have a new friend. His name's Colin. Colin Labrasi. Colin's probably about twenty two, twenty three. He's a Gen Zer. Um, and one of the things that that's a requirement for this retreat is you have to check your titles at the door. Drew, you'd love this. You like both of you get done it. You you would love this, uh, because you have these big shot guys like i'm in a room with like these big shot guys people with billion dollar companies and then young dudes gen zers who you know have a half a million followers on tiktok and another 120,000 on instagram and and so anyway i'm 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 rubbing shoulders with this kid and just just this instant connection between him and i and he begins to tell me a story and as he tells me a story he kind of unfolds kind of what he does and all of a sudden i'm standing in front of this this movement maker like this kid who is using this these these platforms to influence people and i i'm it's it's taken me down this journey because i'm I'm also a, a i'm a i'm a side hustle pastor so i lead a digital marketing agency and one of the things that I love to do is I love to learn from young influencers like Colin and how this segment of this season of digital is influencing and impacting and how it's helping to shape the narrative of how the gospel move forward and moves forward. And, and suffice to say um, the pros and cons of digital um, are are, are there. And, and, and yet I feel like, man, I, like you drew, there are those who are like, man, I can't wait to get in person. And and then there are those who will say, wow, I'm intimidated by ever going to somebody's building. And so you have all these multi. multi, it's this multi-layered, multi-faceted deal. One of the things that the Lord showed me when the pandemic hit um, was in Acts eight and how the, the church in their day was dealing with persecution and the church in our day is dealing with a pandemic and, and how it's forced the the present church and, and the historical church into places we probably wouldn't have ended up. Um, and it's creating, and, and it's still yet to be told how this is going to unfold and and all that to say, man, we're all still learning. We're all still on this journey. And the thing that I love about all of it is, is that we get to learn together. And so I cannot believe we are already at an hour. I mean, I, I just, I can't believe it. We, we need a round two. We need a round two with Drew and <laughs> Janet. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, we need a round, round two with, with Drew and Janet. Um, thank you so much. Like, Thank you for sharing your heart um and what god's doing and um you you too and the leaders you're leading with is uh it's just a pleasure to to be be on this call today with y'all
2: well thank you thank you for having us i've never met you before in person myron but it's so great to meet you and drew and ralph i'm big fans we met at the (laughs) same time in new york it's been a couple years ago now and i met you guys around that same time and um and Drew and I share some per- some people who are attenders of who yeah. are at Drew's church. And now my church started here, went there, came back sure. across the country. So we share some of the young lady that we love and know mm-hmm. um, together. So uh, it's really great being with you guys. Thank you so much. I'm very encouraged by all of you.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. And likewise, yeah, just really grateful. And Janet, you're one of my heroes and really grateful for you. And yeah, hopefully one day we can, if you guys all are down to come to New York one day, let's hang out here, grab a slice of man, I Man, listen, I love New York, man. I love New York. Yeah, come on through. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, hey, y'all, before, um, Exponential Family, before we sign off, we do want to let you know that we are hosting uh, national um, and I think even international possibly roundtables uh, in the fall. And one of the cool things about a round table is that there are several topics you can choose from it's talking about like the idea of um, the networks you're in, the churches you're leading uh, would be a great opportunity to, to pick a topic, host a table and allow those conversations to lead us into the next uh, season of our leadership. We want you to sign up for that. Go to multiplication.org slash host. Uh, If you say, hey, I want to host a roundtable, I want to find out what other roundtables are already in existence uh, when it comes to um, Exponential, please go. We want you guys to be a part. This is our way of continuing the dialogue around multiplication. It's our way of really um, doing this together. Uh, We believe at Exponential that our best days are ahead of us. And uh, some of those best days are around the table together. So please join us again, multiplication.org slash host. Go to it and uh, see how we can host together. Drew, Janet, Ralph, it's a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to chatting again soon. Enjoy your day.
2: All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.